0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres.
1: We're back at the House of Mystery, and today uh, is joining us is uh, two two mystery guys. We've got uh, Michael Butterfield and Gregory Ash.
0: Thank you for oh. having me. <laughs>
1: That went well. <laughs> well, I've been... I, so, now, Greg, uh, you haven't been around for a while. You've been busy. Um, I asked you this before. I, what is the, all the new books?
0: Boy, I know. Um, well, it's this is like the one positive side, for me at least, of the pandemic, is I've had all this time indoors and chained <laughs> to my desk. Mm-hmm. So I've just been writing. And, uh, you know, it all... it. <laughs> It all pays off eventually, I guess. You know, it's it's been such a weird year. You know, I teach high school, and we were virtual for so long, and then had you know our summer vacation in the middle of all that. That um, you know, it's just been a lot of time that I've been. So anyway, it's it's been good. It's been productive. The only, like I said, the only good part of this whole pandemic.
2: Has it been easier for you to write during this, or is it harder because of stress? Or
0: I think it's I been you know, maybe up and down, like easier at some points, because I can just devote more energy, like mental energy to it. Like I'm not grading, I'm not, you know, getting up and working a full day. So that part's been easier. But you know, there's the the pandemic has brought its own, you know, stressors. So maybe up and down. Mm -hmm.
1: You must feel out of place. But like when you're, I I mean, teaching class, how does that go? Like, it's not a full day now right
0: so we are yeah we have everybody back in the building and there oh, wow. yeah it's really something you know I, I live in a real conservative part of the world and I teach in a real conservative part of my area so it's kind of a double whammy and um, they are convinced that this is the best thing for everybody just to, what? just to have the kids back and if they had their way it would be without masks and without social distancing so at least we you know, won that
1: battle. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you think that is, Bud? Why is it that, um, I mean, because doesn't it, isn't it just common sense? Like um, the medical community just mm-hmm. says, well, you know, it, it comes from our mouth. It comes from moisture. Right. Um, if we wear a mask, we can't pass it on or we got our very little chance of it. It makes it better. So what, what's the big deal?
0: Yeah, that's it. I mean, well, I, and I'd be curious to hear what, you know, both of you think about this as well. But what I seem to see is that, uh, it's, it's almost, you know, there are people that are just the science deniers, right? And they just mm-hmm. are convinced that this is all. It's all fake. You know, it's yeah. a fake. It's a, it's a hoax or it's a scheme to take over the world. But then I think probably the larger issue in my community is just that people, their priorities are skewed. You know, like, we have had parents protesting our superintendent, our uh, county commissioner, our county executive, because really for, they they may not go so far as to say they don't believe the science, but they're more worried about their kid not being able to play sports. You know what I mean? So it's, I think yeah. it's really more an issue of, I don't know, what have, you, what have you guys seen or what do you think?
2: That's what I see in here in Arizona where, you know, the – the governor wouldn't do anything and, and for a long time refused to let anybody do anything, and then the mayors started putting up some mask ordinances. And we have science deniers here. Apparently apparently there's a lot of people who don't understand that their nose and their mouth are connected to their lungs. <laughs> <laughs> um, not sure if they didn't pay attention during anatomy class or right. but there's also I think, you know, there's just people who they deny it's real, then there's people who it's, they just don't understand how serious it is. Right. And I think that's what a lot of the problem comes from. And you have people that, well, I call them nosers, the people who wear their masks below oh, their yeah. nose. Yeah. And they don't understand that that's just as bad as not wearing a mask. But I think a lot of it, especially at this stage, is what they call COVID fatigue, where people yeah. are just sick of it, and they think, oh, there's a vaccine coming, and yeah. it'll be better soon, so I don't really have to worry about it. And especially I have – people in my family and friends who are teachers as well. And it's very difficult here because they can't seem to get any clear leadership and any, you know, uh, reinforcement of what needs to be done.
0: Yeah, that sounds real familiar.
1: Yeah, it's, it's better up in, in Canada in the sense of, uh, of the deniers. There are some around, but they certainly don't have the um, platform that they do. In, in the States. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Al, last time I talked to you, you, it was pretty contained in your area. Like, is it? Is it...
1: Still, it still is. We, we moved up a tier because in Toronto, um, I guess it got bad, too, with the second wave. And they're, okay. they're closed down. But in the West, we went, um, like I said, we got like, I think we had 45 new cases yesterday. Wow. And that put us on to um, mask mandatory um we would that's... gladly have that <laughs>
0: yeah seriously. Well, i
1: know i got you yeah. know it, you know they're all freaking out here you know she breaks in and all the ch- tv channels the 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 health officer here and she's like well the prompt hence has, has to go on mandatory masks we have 45 new cases yesterday <laughs> wow. and we've had seven thousand since the pandemic started you mm-hmm. wow geez that's that's a day. yeah we're
2: having 4500 a day <laughs> holy
1: cow yeah, so, so it's contained as compared when we compare it to you guys but um, up here the mentality is to be like Australia where you're you're having all these zero days mm-hmm. so they're 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 not ju- they're not judging us against you' we're, they're judging us against Australia or New Zealand yeah. maybe maybe the UK so mm-hmm. which we're beating but you know so I think they're they think forty-five is huge, and it is, it's laughable when you look at what the states is doing. Yeah, but I haven't seen many many deniers. Um, there's been a few people that um, um, I don't know. I, it's it, up here. It reminds me of the old old days where you get someone comes in and they kind of scream and then they leave. You know, but mm-hmm. you don't have too many of them. You see, you don't many, have the you know, mask holes
2: yeah. there. What no. do we call them mask holes. No, they had,
1: they had they had the big mask um, anti-mask rally in Vancouver, which is yeah, the big city, yeah. and I guess about fifty people showed up. Wow. Well, this is a city of like you know three million people, so you're not really getting a whole lot of attention, right? Like it's not really catching on. Um, <laughs> like that's a pretty small number, right? Yeah. Um, so I just don't. It's not really that, um, but the fatigue is definitely there. I think people are kind of tired of it yeah
2: now i want to ask you gregory if, if, does covid start to influence how you think about plot at all do you start thinking about writing in the covid universe because i noticed that there's a a lot of fiction there's an attempt to sort of avoid that and yeah. stay in our previous world
0: i know i don't know what to do so th- the books that i've been working on are all about two years back In the past chronologically, so I haven't had to answer that question for my own stuff yet, but I, I have, I don't know what I'm going to do about that because I think people are, they kind of want to pretend it didn't happen, even if they're, you know, doing everything they can to mitigate and all those things. Yeah.
2: They want the escape of it.
0: Yeah. yeah. I do find myself, like, when I've been revising, I'll be like, no, wait a minute, that person doesn't have a mask on. <laughs> no, I have to remind myself. This wasn't how we always lived.
2: Yeah, do you? I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm, like, watching some movie from Humphrey Bogart from, like, 1940s or something, <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm like, they're standing too close to it." Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, back up.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the... You know, I did an interview this week earlier, and I had an interesting comment from someone. I, what was His name, his name was Thornton. Michael it was Thornton. Marshall, yeah. Marshall Thornton. Yeah. You know, and he had an interesting comment about how there's been, if you look back at the Spanish flu, like the last big one, there's not a whole lot of uh, material from there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I wonder if it's going to be the same way. I wonder mm-hmm. if, if they, if the writers at the time avoided writing it, about it, uh, I, I, for the same reason that people are doing it now, maybe? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they felt the same way.
2: You don't want I, to be reminded of it. You don't want to have an escape. And yeah. A place I, where you can remember what it used to be like.
1: Right. Because right. there isn't a whole lot. I can't think of any, actually, myself. I, but you're more of a fiction guy than I am um,
0: well I and I think yeah I mean if, if most of the fiction people read is meant to be escapist I think there's something maybe a little too real about the, this pandemic I think people enjoy reading you know maybe a techno thriller about a possible pandemic or
2: yeah. kind of
0: those apocalyptic films or but I think this may strike I, I don't know I, that's just kind of my gut feeling is it may strike mm. a little too close to home
2: well, especially yeah. when you write, you know, mystery stuff where you have to deal with law enforcement or anything like that. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're if you writing a book where you're hoping it's going to be made into a movie, then maybe, yeah, you want to write it to be, you know, where everybody's wearing masks so then right. it can actually be filmed or something. But if you're, you know, just trying to write some fiction for somebody to escape into. I know I've been watching a lot of really old movies. Like, I don't oh. think I even need a color TV anymore right now.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: But I, there's some kind of escapism in that, too. And then also watching things that came in the years after the Spanish flu, like, oh, look, they got through it, you know, like <laughs> maybe yeah. we
1: can too. Yeah, but they, I think they were probably a little bit more. Um, I look at the times back then um, as more um, obedience, not the word, but a little bit more. Um, Responsible. Uh, yeah, see, I can't. I don't have the word. Come on, mm-hmm. Greg. You're this. you don't story. maybe like
0: uh, there's. I think there's certainly a degree of like a better sense of community and like yeah. you know, like kind of your civic
1: responsibility. Yeah. Well, I, I I think that you know if the government said, oh, we've got this, we've got to do this, we got to do that, yeah. people just jump on it. But now they question, and yes. now they don't trust, and now they think, oh, they're yeah. lying to us. Yeah. yeah. Right. Whereas I I don't get that sense. Back during World War One and Two and all this, <laughs> no, life. I you agree. Know, you know what I mean. I get yeah. more of a, more of a. I don't want to say teamwork, but there was just more of a. Oh, if 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 your doctor says that, you do yeah. it. Or if, you, it, but now it's like, well, I don't know.
0: You know, they could be lying. <laughs> you know? Maybe more trust in like authority figures or something like that. I guess so, and I think that's a big difference. Um,
2: Maybe, And, you know, I don't mean to jump in here, but I think maybe it's not just more trust, but it's more respect. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think there's a lot of respect for government agencies, and especially when you have a government that isn't, you know, being (laughs) responsible and being a good role model. But
1: that was going on before uh, Trump, because even when you had Obama in, there was a lot of people not showing respect toward him.
2: Yeah. Um, well, it's so even if colliding with it, the anti-vaccine stuff and exactly all this like anti-science, this
1: whole, and and for the most part, the, I think the unfortunate thing is most of them. It's just all sort of, it's all fiction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not, yeah. it's not. It's not like they're scientists or they're people studying to be a doctor, and they have right. some sort of they're they're in the business, but they still tell you what you can and can't do. Right? Like
0: there's. Right. It's weird. There's just a lack of respect for expertise. Mm -hmm. Definitely that, and I think you know there's this uh, you know, and it comes. I think it comes from a lot of sources. You know, like a lot of that is, I think comes maybe from elements that push back against what they perceive as academia or intelligentsia. But I think you know, on the academic side, we've perpetrated some of that too. You know, there's deconstructionism and kind of the push to um, overturn like a lot of those shared expectations about society, about, you know, whatever you want to pick, gender, sexuality, mm-hmm. uh, religion, like those, you know, you kind of pay the price for them, right? Because when you, when you challenge things, then everything's up to be challenged. And so I think, yeah. you know, on both sides, even though those, I would argue that destabilizing a lot of those uh, constructs was really important you know there's always a cost,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and that's probably right it's probably it's probably something that's going to take time mm-hmm. um, but um but we'll see you know, yeah, I mean, at the Supreme Court it's been
0: oh, uh,
1: stopping the um you know the uh, church assemblies hey yeah so so like <laughs> when when you know when New York there and Como put on a restriction, then they they block that order. Yeah. yeah. So if you, well, yeah, that's because you, you
2: have Amy Coney Barrett on there and yeah. <laughs> doing that's, exactly what she was put there to do. Yes, yeah. exactly.
1: So yes. that's going to be kind of, um, you know, in a circle. It's going to be just running around.
2: Well, remember when uh, George W. Bush tried to appoint that woman to the Supreme Court? I can't remember exactly what her position was, but the running joke was that she was basically his cleaning lady. <laughs> <laughs> and people were talking about how unqualified she was and amy coney barrett was a judge for like what three years before she went up there and now she's making these kinds of decisions for the entire country and that's that's a problem in and of itself but what you were saying gregory about you know it's you start to push the boundaries on things that need to be pushed against and then it kind of gives people a either gives the impression that you should do it with everything or you sort of get some blowback from the people who don't like what you were doing in the first place. I mean, just the fact that the the fiction you write in and of itself is an example of that.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't – like, I don't share my work with anybody, you know, really at work or with my students because, you know, it is such a conservative – part of the world that, you know, although a lot of the world has changed for the better, you know, there's these little dark corners that yeah. they are what they are, you know? Mm.
1: So now what, what have you been writing now? I see this this one book called "A Friend in the Dark. Now that sounds very interesting.
0: <laughs> that one was, yeah, that was a really fun project. I co-wrote that with uh, C.S. Poe, who's another uh, mystery writer. So we, what was really fun about that, but also challenging as we kind of, we literally wrote the entire thing together. We had a Google doc that we were both on at the same time and kind of wrote through every word. And it was hard. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's like a contemporary mystery series that's going on. And the next one's going to come out early 2021. And um, yeah, so that's one. And then the other project that I've got going on is this, series about a wildlife veterinarian and a con man that's set in uh, Utah, set in the Intermountain West.
1: Well, that's, that's that's kind of interesting. When you write with someone else in fiction, so you guys kind of work on it together at the same time, eh?
0: That, yeah, that's the first time I've done that. That was a new experience, and it was, um, you know, like the challenges were not – At the level of plot or content, really, they were more at the level of just the logistics of execution. You know, it just took so much time for both of us to be there together writing this. Um, But like the actual content, everything worked pretty smoothly for us.
1: Wow. I was going to say, because I've never done it quite that way and what I've written with other um, crime authors like uh, Peter Vronsky and stuff, you kind of do your own stuff.
0: Well, yeah. So, tell me, how have you done it? What have you guys done?
1: Well, for me, I've, I've worked with Peter and some of the other. But you see, the thing is, for me, I looked at them as being the um, the master <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because they they've written tons of books. They've got you know, well, especially um, Peter. Yeah, he's got <laughs> a doctorate. He's got all this stuff. So for me, I was I was. I was his cleaning lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. I, w- I was looking to him for the direction. I wasn't giving the direction. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: and w- were you, when you said you wrote your own parts, like were, did you have chapters that you were kind of responsible for, or what did you how did Well, you sort of. He
1: sort of uh, would, we would just sort of,
0: yeah. He. I would
1: have things I would write about, Mm -hmm. And then he would tell me what I did wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, no, we spent, or I remember we spent a couple hours at at a time and he would talk a lot and direct me. How's that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. and uh, That's good. Yeah, Yeah, it's good. good. (laughs) But it's kind of, it was very elusive trying to get an actual answer. Mm Do you know, like I could, I could, I could do something and then he would speak for two hours but I wouldn't get like the um, so is it good is it bad? (laughs) anything like that he he would always say people like your reading (laughs) (laughs) so I knew then that I wasn't good enough you know what I mean like I had to get better but that was his way of doing it well you Uh, could learn from worse Oh, God, no, and I'm not, I I look at it, this is years ago, and I look back and I kind of think, well, it was good for me Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was frustrating, but it was really good for me because then you keep on trying to achieve something better, and that rather than um, thinking you've done it, great. Right. You know what I mean? I, so yeah. it was good. It was a good thing. But um, I that's what I couldn't imagine sitting and writing with someone at the same time. But I think I'm different now. And I've got a little bit more experience now. So um, it might be easier for me.
0: Well, and, and maybe just the nature of, well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It, it also could have just been the type the relationship that was in place, the way you described it, you know, like that he had a lot more experience and mm-hmm. That you kind of went in, cause I, I mean, uh, Carol, that's CSPO, does have more experience than I do, but we're pretty, you know, we're pretty similar in terms of where we're at in our careers. And so, um, I think Hopefully. I, f- and I think we both felt pretty comfortable going into it as, you know, co-writers as equals on that. I hope, I hope she's not doing an interview right now saying the opposite. Oh, my God. Yeah, she was on the other line. She was on earlier. Oh, oh, I took Greg God. under my oh. wing. He needed some guidance. You know? She said, oh, my
1: God, I've never worked with such an amateur. <laughs> <laughs> my God. You know, oh, Thank God for, for Grammarly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, actually, well, no. Yeah, it was different, plus the – the publisher got me together with Peter, and that was how that started. So there was a reason for it. it was, yeah. It's different, but it's a different sort of thing, I think, in nonfiction.
0: Did, I, I did, you know. mean, is it something you do again? Would you ever seek that out?
1: Not, no. I, um, <laughs> Yes and no. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would be glad to work with him, but it would be different now. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yes. Well, you have a different place. You're a different place now. Yeah, so exactly. it would be different, but I don't think there's a need for him to work with me, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, he's not looking to work, oh, my God, I want to work with, you know. Not trying know.
2: to add to his CV with your yeah. credit area. <laughs> yeah, he's not, he's not,
1: he's not, and he's not, it's not, well, you know what I mean. There yeah. might be someone that you really like the way they write, and you'd love to work with them or whatever, but um, yeah. I don't think it, that's in the cards. <laughs> mm.
0: well, that makes, no, that makes a lot of sense.
1: You know, but that's okay with, I'm okay with that, because it is what it is. Like, he is who he is. He's been doing this since the 60s. Right. I, I was born in the 60s. Right?
2: Well, now you're the master, Al. You've been doing that with <laughs> me. You know, you've been helping me over the last few years, so.
1: Well, yeah, I think that that's sort of how it goes. You know, you pay it forward. Like, he's, yeah. He, he was, I think he, for him, he was doing it for something because you do get something out of out of helping someone else that's coming along right
2: yeah yeah. you know
1: you know you get something out of everything you do I think and so if I if there's someone that's a newer writer uh, I've done that with Mike Brown too with his new book and uh, Mm -hmm. you'll spend time with him and say well you know this is what I do or this is or don't worry about this or that you just sort of pick up things from doing it and you Mm -hmm. pass it on and then hopefully they'll do the same when they've got Someone, but I, I certainly don't put myself in the Peter Vronsky hmm. category. Um, you know, he's, he's Michael. Pretty- is that
0: something? Have you have you done some co-writing as well, or just when you just mentioned that? What were you referring to?
2: Well, um, you know, I did some some writing for some true crime magazines that Al sort of hooked me up with. Gotcha. And um, we're talking about doing something now with this Zodiac book.
0: Yes. Um, yeah, he's and, uh, going to
1: be my uh, co-guy for the, uh, for the Zodiac interviews. That's awesome. Yeah. So.
2: But I did do, um, I've done some collaborating over the years, largely on things like screenplays and things like that. Oh, it's cool. A little, little different. Yeah. But I did do, um, collaborated with Mike Kelleher, who's a true crime writer, uh, did some, did, wrote a book about the Zodiac and some other things. And uh, that was an interesting experience because we had a publisher and we were trying to, you know, deadline and certain rules and guidelines and things like that. And um, it is different because, you know, one of the reasons I started writing myself, I used to be involved in theater and other things, but I got kind of fed up with the fact that you, you know, you have to depend on other people so much. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, I think that when you're a writer, you know it's if something doesn't get done, it's your fault. <laughs> right. Um, I started gravitating towards that, and then once you're used to doing that, then introducing someone else into it is different and sometimes difficult. But Mike and I had talked a lot about things, and we were kind of on the same page about everything. Plus, it was a short essay, so it was a mm-hmm. little bit to get through it. But I like the collaborative. Process, but it's all about who you do it with, you know, and Agreed. and yeah. how how much you know them and if you're on the same
1: page. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. So I, I think it's how you choose that. I mean, with with, so Greg, when you do uh, collaboration, like, see, how do you choose? Like, how do you just guys decide? Oh, let's do this book.
0: Yeah, that was so. What happened uh, was I actually well, I'd read several of Carol's books before I met her in person, and I really liked them. And, you know, that, that was a, that was a big deal for me because I, um, I write in a genre where it's, um, there's just a real wide range of quality. And um, it was, I really liked her stuff and I wanted to, you know, meet her in person. So I was at a convention and I met her and we just, we were, you know, getting drinks at the bar and just kind of talking, getting to know each other. And we kind of broached the subject tentatively, and then um, a couple months later, I had an idea. And she tends to write stories that are set in New York City, not exclusively, but she has quite a few there. And I had a an idea for a mystery taking place in New York City, and I thought I would run it past her, so I did. And um, you know, it just she she said that she, kind of ideas started sparking, and I, to me that was a good sign. You know, like when you're both excited about the idea you know, you don't want the you know, I didn't want to rope someone in that was just kind of lukewarm about the concept. And so to me, that was a good sign that we were a good fit for each other, that, you know, she connected with the same parts of the idea that I was excited about. And uh, we kind of built some characters out around the idea. So, uh, so that's how it worked for us. Now, you know, I, the next book, we've, we've written a second one that hasn't come out yet. That was a lot easier because it was, it's a sequel, you know? So like at that point, it was just more about what's the next case they're going to solve? And a lot of the pieces were already in place for that. Mm-hmm.
1: What's the important part of fiction writing? Like, what, what do you think is the most important or the key thing? And what do you look for yeah. when you say you read other people's books yeah. um, that are in fiction and you kind of go, wow, that's, that one's great. I really liked your books. Yeah. W- what is it that is, is the key thing that makes you go, wow, this is great?
0: Gosh, that's so, that's, talk about the hardest question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, I mean, there, there must be something because when I, because fiction writers are in their own yeah. circle and, 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 um, you guys have a different logic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, that's true. Yeah. I would say that I tend to look for, I guess the, the kind of major kind of metrics in my head as I'm looking at a book are, um, Like, on the one hand, content. Like, is is this a story that's been told a hundred times? Like, do I need to – if I read this book, am I going to really – like, is anything in the book going to surprise me or excite me or interest me? So – and, like, that one I'm actually pretty forgiving on because there's only so many ways to murder someone and there's only so many ways people can fall in love. (laughs) You know, like, I I love a good twist, but, like, content is is really, you know, maybe – let's say 40% of it for me and the, the other 60% would be like execution. And I think, you know, some of the things that really sets to me, a fiction writer apart are this combination of like clarity and specificity, but also, um, and this is probably not the right word, but it's the best I can come up with is like elegance. And so like, if you think, you know, you can have a scene uh where, you know, a whole lot of information is conveyed through these sharing of specific details, um but without directly stating, you know, maybe the point that the author is trying to get to. Hmm. And then, you know, you pick up something that's a little bit more workman-y or hacky, and it's, you know, a lot of just declarative <laughs> sentences. John was angry, you know, John <laughs> didn't feel worthy. And so I feel like there, you know, and... and You know, when you get into literary fiction, everything's a lot more complicated. So I'm really speaking more about genre fiction right here. But um, to me, those are the big kind of things that I look at. Uh, I don't know. I mean, when you read for pleasure, you know, Al or Michael, what makes you keep going or what what makes you put a book down?
2: I think it's the world that the, the writer creates yeah you know, like a world where you want to be and even if it's an unpleasant world you know yeah um whether or not it's believable and, it, and if it's not believable whether it's something that's appealing and yeah. insightful you know if you like you were saying if you especially with a lot of mystery books if you pick it up and you feel like you've read it before or you mm-hmm. feel like it's just a, similar to something else mm-hmm. um that doesn't draw you in but if Especially with characterization and dialogue, you know, if you read like the books that were, forgive me, was it Gregory MacDonald, who wrote the the Fletch novels. The, 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 oh, I don't,
0: I don't know those. Yeah, the yeah Chevy Chase did
2: the movie Fletch in the '80s, but there oh, okay, got gotcha, series yeah. of books before that. Yes, and so much of it's the dialogue and the sort of sense of humor and the 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 atmosphere. So if, yeah. if, when I'm reading especially dialogue, because if, if you start – that's where I think a lot of storytelling falls apart for some people. Mm-hmm. It's easy to come up with a plot and, you know, a setting and things like that, but when you have to actually define characters and make them believable or
0: yeah.
2: sometimes likable or unlikable, if the dialogue isn't getting to you right away, then you kind of tune out. And it's kind of maybe something that happens with later generations, especially from film and television where you're mm-hmm. used to hearing dialogue. So when you read it, you know you're hearing it in your in your head. So if it sounds familiar, if it sounds like, you know, it's it's been done before, mm-hmm. kind of tune out. But mm-hmm. and that's what I was going to ask you after Al answers your question. I was going to ask you about how, you know, when you're creating these characters in the environments. I noticed that a lot of it's with you is about uh, nature
1: mm-hmm. yeah. and how
2: you know how did that that's something that would draw me in as a as a reader. So how did that just, how did you decide to do that yourself and why?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question.
1: Um. (laughs) Well, you know, if, and I was just going to say for me, the only thing that that turns me off in in, when you get into, especially fiction is if you kind of know what's going to happen, be said Mm -hmm. before you read it.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That
1: happens. That just happened to me. I, I think about a week ago and within the first, you know, fifteen minutes. You're like, oh, let me guess. <laughs> yeah. You know exactly yeah. what's going to happen, yeah. Yeah. why it's going to happen, and you even know the kind of dialogue they use. They don't even. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. that, uh, and I don't even want to call it that. It's not original. It's just, it just. I guess cl- that's what they mean by saying cliche. It's just mm-hmm. sort of they say the same sort of. It's like didn't that happen in the Rockford Files? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like after a while, you're you dating sort of yourself out. Well. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I get that from Lee. I got that from Lee Goldberg when he said, you know, isn't that just another, you know, it's like um, all the books coming out, he said, that's just like watching The Rocketer Files. And, yeah. You yeah. know, and I just sort of, it's kind of that way. You know? mm-hmm. Well, that happens just,
2: too uh, if you, if you study screenwriting at all. If you watch a television show or a movie, you know screenwriters don't put anything in the story that's not driving the story. So something in the beginning of the story that seems inconsequential is actually something that's important. So you start to plot ahead as if you were the writer and then you figure Mm -hmm. it out, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, you kind of have to remember to just read.
1: Well, and anyway, so Greg answered that
0: about your, your nature quest. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) no, that's a great, uh, it's a great question. I think, What, so like a, like a real turning point as, as I've tried, as I've continued to try to learn about how to write well. And I mean, that is really like an, I don't, I don't know that anybody really ever masters it. Maybe they do, but for me, it just feels like a real uphill battle every day. But, um, a big turning point though was when I picked up the, this, the first book I ever read by Robert McFarlane, who is um, an English Mm -hmm. Um, he's an academic actually, but he's also a nature writer and he, uh, writes primarily about, um, England and it's the first book I picked up was called the old ways. And it's about, um, his attempt over, I think it's over about the course of a calendar year to, uh, walk various old paths, footpaths in England. And it's also like at the same time, like a cultural history of hiking and a a cultural history of path making and it sounds i think every time i try to explain to someone how like magical this book was it sounds so boring when i describe (laughs) it um but i read him and like i was just blown away by the clarity and precision of how he could describe the natural world and i thought man like, I don't even know what kind of trees in my front yard. <laughs> and so uh, it was like this real challenge to me. And it was it was a moment when I also kind of started to internalize maybe a little better that, like, my even though there's a lot of ways that kind of the 1970s theories on linguistic theories on how language shapes our ability to see the world and Saber Wharf and all that stuff. I mean, even though a lot of that isn't really in circulation anymore, like, there is something to be said for our ability to name and the things around us lets us talk about those things. And so, um, so that was, that was a big challenge to me. And I've really tried since I started reading his work to learn as much as I can ab- about the natural world where I set my books. And so sometimes that means in-person trips when possible, but a lot of it is also just kind of reading um, like conservation magazines and nature guides and stuff like that to try to, get a better sense of the place.
2: Well, it lends a lot of authenticity to it that so allows the reader to immerse themselves in that world.
0: Right. Yeah. Thank you. And I, and I think, it, so in these books I have set in Utah, like I've tried to be very careful so that the wildlife veterinarian, who's one of the two viewpoint characters has a lot more names for the things around him than the con man, who's a city, you know, like a city boy. <laughs> right. And like, You know, when they go out into the mountains, like, the city boy really, he he notices, like, a tree where the, if it's a chapter from the other point of view, like, I'll tell you which tree it is and maybe, like, why it's in bloom right now or something, you know, like,
2: so.
0: so hopefully that also lends itself to, like, a verisimilitude in the characterization.
2: That's one of my favorite words. I can't believe that you actually use that.
0: (laughs) With the verisimilitude? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, well, you know, I'm like, I know it's not real, but I want to make it feel real. So, yeah, yeah.
2: And that's that's not just a, you know, throwaway fancy word. It, it means something. And yeah. it's it, so important to writing.
0: Yes, agreed. Absolutely. It means something?
2: <laughs> <laughs> not like close encounters, it means something. It,
1: it means <laughs> 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 it, it, but, do you think that fiction writing is. Better or worse now? Like, how do you think it's gone? Because there's yeah. so much of it, so many people doing it. Yeah. Um, how you know what I'm? It's it's not as special as it used to be. So <laughs> how do you? And I mean, because there's so much of it uh, with self publishing and all this stuff. So yeah. How do you know what to pick up?
0: Well, I and I'll be curious. To, I, I'd love to hear both of you kind of respond to that as well. I mean, my. So, so my, my original training is as an academic, you know, I went and got a PhD in comparative literature, and I wrote a dissertation and all these, you know, lovely published articles about the Spanish Renaissance. And, you know, probably about five people in the whole world have read. (laughs) And, uh, and so when I started writing fiction, and I will admit that I still carry some of this, like, there's like, some internalized contempt for um, genre fiction and for um, entertainment fiction that I deal with. Like I, I really try to um, like compartmentalize that so that I can do my best work as I'm writing it, you know, and not just sit there and think, Oh, this isn't Proust. Oh, this isn't Shakespeare. Oh, this isn't, uh, you know, Saul Bellows. Like why should I even bother sitting here? So like, On the one hand, like, I come at it from that angle, and I think, you know, if nothing else, this is a story that might make someone happy, and there's some value in that, and um, it makes me happy to write it, and I hope, like, that is enough for this thing to merit its own existence. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm personally not too troubled by this kind of flood of production, because it's happened, you know, it happened when the printing press was invented. it happened, uh, yeah. You know, in the 19th century, as like paper and ink became drastically cheaper, and like the, you know, penny dreadfuls started flooding, you know, London, and so I mean, I think, like culturally, I'm not real worried about it. Like personally, it is a little tiresome to wade through so many pieces that I just, for me, are not a good fit. But um, I tend to, I tend to just once I find an author I like, read as much of their stuff as I can because I know. I'm going to like their stuff. So that's just kind of like my, you know, uh, imp- improvised solution to it. So I don't know. I mean, what do you like? What do you guys think about it? Or, or what have you done to in your own reading practices or reading lives?
1: Um, I've gone back to really old classics.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: me too. I like I'm listening to Frankenstein right now. Ooh, yeah, and I listen to Direc. I'm listening to a lot of older stuff because I'm and I watch old TV as well. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Mike, you too. know, I've got either Turner Classic Movies or I've got Me TV on all the time. Yeah. Me TV,
2: yeah, There you go. <laughs> that's all. That's that's just me. That's just that's, who I am. That's where you get the Rockford Files these days. right? Yeah,
1: that's that's all that's ever going on my TV. Unless me too. That's unless what I, I'm they call going. It yeah, unless I go for an actual. Series that I want to see or something yeah. or hear about yeah. but on Netflix or whatever. But I, I just look at that, um, how well people, how well their vocabulary was mm-hmm. years ago, how mm-hmm. differently they spoke because they had such a better knowledge,
0: mm-hmm. a better
1: education. And that's mm-hmm. sort of what I feel we're cheapening everything so much. Like I agree, I'm glad that people can can publish and that people can get things out that couldn't maybe before. Mm-hmm. That's all good, but I just I just worry about our quality of um, of of English, even mine. I work at it so hard, mm-hmm. and it's terrible when I compare it to what people used to have in their in their in their vocabulary. And now I just think that. I think it's getting worse each generation. And, it, you know, that's just 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 me. So.
2: But there's also, I think, what Gregory was talking about a little bit too. Is, you know, It happened with music and filmmaking and everything else. The, the more the technology gets accessible, the more people start doing it, the more it sort of becomes more common. And then even though there's a lot of it out there, I think that ultimately allows certain individuals to rise out of that because mm-hmm. – <clears throat> that may not have been as easy for them to do so before. When you said the, <clears throat> about the you know, ink and everything becoming more available and that, what influence that had, you know, there was an old uh, line that people used to say that the worst thing about the printing press was that it cast doubt on books that couldn't find publishers. Mm. Whereas before that, you know, there, was, there was sort of this equality, this mm. uh, equal playing field. But once there was people who were willing to publish a book, well if your book wasn't published then it must not be good, you know. Right. There's now anybody can publish anything and do it themselves and you know, I work in the book business and I see a lot of self published books and I think Al has a point. Um, you know, when the when the the blurbs on the back of the book or the description of the book is there's Misspellings in it, or when you see a writer who uses a lot of exclamation points at the end of every sentence and things, um, I have a little twinge where I'm like, you know, this is this really sucks. And uh, but I think at the same time, you know, it's a long time ago. I stopped saying that something was bad just because I didn't like it. Now Mm -hmm. I realize that you know it's just not for me. So things that we don't like, you know, hopefully it's filling a void for somebody else. And um, and I also think too that. Like what Al was saying about watching older things, I'm very much like that. I watch, I think everything that I watch is 30 or 40 years old. (laughs) Yeah. And I read a lot of. Older, my favorite book is Don Quixote, which is oh the, nice. Yeah. yeah, it's not an easy read, so I don't like yeah. read it casually all the time. But well, do I have a dissertation
0: for you, sir? Just <laughs> wow, let me, yeah, let me just send that right over. <laughs>
2: yeah, I collect those. I have a shelf of Cervantes and stuff from you know vintage books and things, and I read a lot oh, of older horror fiction, a lot of Robert Block and mm-hmm. people like that. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think there is something to the idea that maybe I'm a little old fart and I appreciate that language, that style Mm -hmm. more. But I also think that, you know, there's always going to be a new generation of things and Mm -hmm. things have changed. It's not necessarily always for us. And, Mm -hmm. well, I think there is a decline in some, like, all you have to do is go on Netflix to see that, you know, anybody (laughs) can make a movie now. Right, right, right. But, you know, there's maybe there's an opportunity and more encouragement for that one or two people who are really, you know, going to be good, yeah. to be inspired to go ahead and do it because it is easier.
1: Yeah, I think that's the good part. But for yeah. for for me, I look at, um, geez, you know, I'm getting to sixty, and when I I, I wish, um, I was at this level when I was in school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and you know. I mean that and i mm-hmm. and I guess I blame my parents, I blame my upbringing <laughs> the situation <laughs> and, and 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 not in a bad way. I just look at they you know you you were born and raised where you are, and mm-hmm. you have what you have available, but i look i'm trying to get into a lot of the classics, a lot of the things that weren't a part of my young life mm-hmm. and I feel like it's a big it's a missed opportunity. And I just see whole generations now that um, aren't even interested in it.
2: Well, that's why it's so important to encourage young people to read.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: <laughs> Get them while they're
2: young and they'll be vociferous readers.
0: It, and, you know, just to build on that, I, I mean, not only is there something to be said for kind of the uh, quality of the product that we engage with and the um, – Kind of decline in that in that aspect of literature, but one thing that there's a lot of really interesting science about right now is a research, I should say, a lot of interesting research about right now is just how um, our transition as a culture to visual media and to short, um, very very short text pieces, mm-hmm. tweets, in other words, right, or like you know whatever you can fit in a in a social media burst has is actually, um, you know, altering a lot of the neural connections or, or I guess inhibiting the development of the neural pathways that long form reading has built in humans over hundreds of years. And so that has a lot to unfortunately has a lot to do with attention span. It has a lot to do with empathy. It has a lot to do with um, both the ability to concentrate and the ability to problem solve. And so like i think regardless of maybe at this point <laughs> if we're willing to like seed the battle on quality <laughs> there's still something to be said just for encouraging long form reading of any type because it um changes the brain so drastically
1: yeah um well and i think but I, I think what it is for me is it's um setting the the goal or the example like if it, it's this way in everything um if all you listen to is is uh you know kylie minogue pop disco mm-hmm. and you're a musician that's going to be that's the epitome that's kind of the the end of it you know what i'm right. saying there's right. so much there, and it's i like kylie but um <laughs> but you know what i mean like so when i'm writing uh, yeah. when i was first reading books of course it, they they are not at the level they are they are now but the thing is you have to you know what I'm? I think you get what I'm saying. Like if, when someone gives me a five star review, I think, boy, that's pretty bad.
2: <laughs> you mean that they don't have higher standards, or yeah, Because
1: yeah, I'm thinking, well, God, if if this is a five star, this is the best nonfiction they've read, then, then they've got a long way to go. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I mean, I could be doing a good job with the book with what I have to work with now in my life. Um, but I, I think a lot of my writing, especially the early writing, is not near what some of the ratings are.
2: Well I know what you mean too. it's like you, you you three stars might be reasonable, but you want to think that you have room to get
1: better well yeah, yeah. because it, and because uh, I'm thinking if someone if someone uh, writes this whole rating on me and how, what a, what a great written book that's mm-hmm. me even proper but what a what a well written book he's done, and all this stuff I just think, wow, you know it's not that well written. <laughs> well, you know, I I think that my research is good. There's yeah. no like I, nonfiction. Yeah, I'll put in the research. I'll meet the people. I'll get all the information as correct as possible, and that's all in there. But learning to write it is is it's something that takes a period of time. So what I was doing years ago to compared to what I do now, sure, it's way better now. Yeah. But uh, you, I don't know if that makes sense. I, it doesn't. I'm just yeah, being really, I, really raw and honest here. That Because I know you start out at a certain level and you do get better. And um, so it, it, for me, in order for me, I think, to get better, I have to go – I have to read much better than right. what I can write.
0: I like, would agree with that 100%. I agree with that sentiment about, you know, you look back at your previous work and you can see – hopefully the gap between what you're producing now and what you previously produced at hundred percent. I think there's something to be said for, you know, maybe like on the one hand, people who aren't um, writers or even terribly avid readers tend to have a narrower band, like a narrower range of yeah. perception, right. About a text. And so Um, and that's not, I'm not, that's not a slam. That's I think in the same way that I have a pretty narrow range of perception with painting, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm not a painter. Like I, I know that I like to walk through the St. Louis art museum, (laughs) but like, that's about the, like I can identify some movements, but like, that's the extent of my response. Like I can't talk about brush techniques or anything like that. So I think that's one part of it. And I think another part is like the, what's so cool, but also so weird about books is, like whatever you wrote is only half of it because whoever reads it makes the other half and yeah. it can be wildly different from what you intended or what you thought you made. Like I've had people tell me, tell me about books, my books. And I'm like, boy, in my mind, I never say this out loud. I'm like, I, I don't remember that book at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, you know, even though I can, I understand and I appreciate that honesty of like, maybe you don't feel like it is a five-star book. What's so, I think that's kind of cool that it is, it was a five star to someone, you know, like, and that is awesome. That's, that's really cool.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I see that. Um, But, but to me, um, Mm -hmm. from, from my side of it, so yeah, so maybe someone that picks up a book once a year and just kind of goes through and, oh yeah, this was good. Wow. I didn't Mm -hmm. know that. And they feel good about the book and, Mm -hmm. and that filled their need and they're happy. Mm -hmm. That's, I, I get that, but I just, I look at it and go, God, it, it, it was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Like when you look I feel at, that, too, about yeah, my stuff. Yeah. yeah. But you're
1: really hard on yourself, too, Al. You're, well, you're- I am because there's a challenge to always get better because right. I know it's never good enough, and it's not the same as what um, a lot of other people have. I didn't have the same level to start with, so... Um, I think that, that makes me always want to do better. I, I catch myself in things all the time, so I, I'm always giving myself heck for it. You know? but. Yeah, And, Gregory, what you were talking
2: about before, too, about the, the attention span and reading,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, I think that is playing a big part of things. People want things in small little boxes now. Yeah, And I miss the days when I lived in New York and Chicago where I was using, taking the train all the time because oh you yeah, read for 45 minutes uninterrupted. Yeah. <laughs> just, and now I have to drive everywhere. And oh, yeah. don't have that luxury anymore, and you have to make time to read. And I am, I think, more like you in that sense. I, I love to read. I could read for hours, um, but most people
1: don't. Right. Right. Yeah, I just wonder, too, doesn't that kind of um, – I think back when you see those old shows in the 60s and 50s, and you think how much more time they seem to have in a day to do things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Because <laughs> mm-hmm. there was less to, to take their attention, I guess. Oh, yeah. 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 You know? But
2: also how they took their time with storytelling, too. Right. They didn't, that's one of the reasons I like older films and television shows and books, and also one of the reasons I like British mm-hmm. <laughs> television and mm-hmm. uh, film is because they're not so they don't have to have something happening every five minutes to keep you interested. And have the slow burn of the story.
1: Yeah, I like the slow and you know, and why can't I, you know, I mean I never have time to be dressed to the nines in a big lounge gown, (laughs) heels, and sparkles, and have my hair all done. Because you don't have priorities in order. And 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 she she answers the door with a big cigarette and has a glass of sherry, and and it's only like at ten in the morning, and she's already. I'm thinking they got they have so much time. They dress up like that, and everywhere you go, men are wearing suits. Right. It's because they don't have Facebook. They don't. Fussed with Twitter and. I guess so because yeah. it just seemed like they had uh more um to do in their life. I don't know. They just yeah. I, I just can never seem to be getting my gown ready and <laughs> getting priorities out priorities. <laughs> I guess I just gotta start fixing my life.
2: <laughs> now, um. uh Gregory, before uh we end this here, I got to make sure that I ask you the single most important question of this previous, Oh boy. Which is did you get a dog?
0: Uh, yes, he's outside right now because he's working. <laughs> yes, he is out there, and he is ha- with a beautiful day here in St. Louis, so he's having a great time. What, what's his name? Watson. aha huh a little on the nose. I know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, just, I bring that up for the listeners because it says on your Amazon page that yes. my big goal right now is one day to be responsible enough to get a dog so we can celebrate.
0: Yes, well, I don't know if I met the criteria I set, <laughs> but I did get a dog. Skip the head of the dog. Part. Yeah, I think I just jumped over that.
1: Well, oh, that's good though.
0: Dogs are good. very good. Yeah, he's a good boy. Dogs are great.
1: <laughs> well, I guess so. Now, um, I, I do you still have your website that people yes. can go to? And... Yes,
0: GregoryAsh.com, and um, I'm also on Facebook under Gregory Ash. Yeah, and I you come check me out, see what I've, my next book comes out in a couple of weeks. It's a uh, second book in a college academic mystery series. So, and
2: okay. that's Ash with an E on the end.
0: That is Ash with an E on the end. Well, fantastic. Um, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me.